Welcome to Help from Future Self. What's happening, Archons? Welcome to the 101st episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. We bring you tidings this week. Dark tidings, if you will. My name is Evil Twin Scuzzy Gruen, and I am joined this week by two of my great Keyforge friends. We've got the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey. And of course, it's Coach Boulevard Blake. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man. I uh, think it's a very appropriate episode that we just marked our centennial, and then we literally starting the next 100 with a brand new set. I thought, wow, the flavor, the flavor. Yeah, it's it's pretty excellent. I am so excited to talk about Dark Tidings. Um, we are very fortunate to be living in a place where Dark Tidings is available, but want to acknowledge off the top of the show that we understand that not everybody has had that opportunity. And if you're like us and skipping out on spoilers and trying to stay spoiler-free, this is going to be a very spoiler-heavy episode. We're going to be talking about the new faction. We're going to be talking about some of our favorite cards in the set and so on and so forth. So no shame if you need to just turn off the podcast app and revisit once you're able to get your own hands on some dark tidings, but uh, that's going to be the entire topic of today's show. For those of you who haven't had the chance to check out the set yet, we are hoping that you will have the chance in the very near future. So let's get things started with just very baseline first impressions. Gentlemen, yes or no, you liking the new set? Rick? Absolutely. Loving it. Blake? Yeah, man, I'm I'm really enjoying it. The I find it's providing a lot of decisions mm. that I was not fully expecting. Well, obviously I wasn't expecting. I didn't have any spoilers, but <laughs> it was it was um in my testing and and trying out the decks, I found that some of the decisions I'm making, I was not expecting that these were the decisions that would be happening within the game of Keyforge now. Totally 100%. You're you're right and your impression matches up with mine, which is uh Dark Tidings makes interesting decisions with so many things and create so many interesting decision points that it really like makes the game much more engaging it's much harder to play on autopilot when you're playing dark tidings that's not just my lack of familiarity with the set but i find that more often a card calls for you to think about what do i need to do here and that's for a couple of different reasons partially because they've put lots of cards in the set that require you to choose one of two things that they do but also because so many cards rely on the tide mechanic with different things happening depending on whether or not the tide is high or low. And that's a genius mechanic for them to have added to the game. Agreed. So just to, to get things started off with some first impressions, Blake, why don't you tell us, what, sort of when you were first starting to open up and play these decks, how were you feeling about the set? What was the impression that was coming across to you? Um, well, first off, I was, I was actually a little bit shocked at the ember generation like it's so bursty uh, that being said i did happen to manage to have quite a few shadows and untamed uh, houses within the first set of decks i've opened i haven't even worked my way through a full display yet but but so far they've been the dominant houses for me and i'm just noticing like those two houses have this like potential to just do these cool bursty turns that i was not expecting to exist especially shadows burst that one i was i was actually a little shocked by yeah, I, I, I honestly feel like Shadows has some mojo that it was kind of missing for the last couple of sets. Like, it's a very satisfying house to play this set um, in a way that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. I mean, we all know that Shadows was a hot house right at the beginning of, of, of the game. Um, but once, you know, they realized that Steel was so powerful, they had to nerf them a lot. And that kind of took away a lot of the fun. 
But I think what this set has done is found that happy medium between, okay, Shadows is here and they can steal, but here are some interesting conditions around that that can make that more interesting rather than just, uh, I put down a card, you lose Amber and I gain Amber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I think all of the houses that exist get something interesting to do in this set that, uh, you know, is is something that's perhaps associated with their set character, but also gives them something else. Rick, you're a big Untamed guy. Have you gotten a chance to play a lot of Untamed yet? I actually have. Um, I, I, I have opened my entire display, but four or five are still in the shrink wrap. But um, I've gotten also a lot of Shadows and Untamed. And I'm very impressed and shocked by the first that's in shadows. But I love how half of it, sh- half of it's steel, half of it's burst. So you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. Indeed, indeed. One of the things that I think is really cool about Untamed is, um, I always thought that like plus one tokens as an Untamed feature was not the greatest. Um, I don't find that powerful creatures are a thing that really like moves the needle for me in Keyforge. Never really has, never probably will, um, unless they're powerful creatures that have some sort of like interesting power on top of that. Like a powerful creature that captures Amber, great, that's awesome. Just a powerful creature, well then, whatever. But uh, I think that the way that they've applied like plus one tokens in this set and also have ways to manipulate and use plus one tokens beyond just having them on your creatures is really an interesting thing they're developing with Untamed. And I would really love to see them develop more as sets uh, continue to come out. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, there's there's some really cool things with the plus one power counters that I that kind of shocked me. Uh, some cool combos. There's there's one card that uh, is not on my list that we're talking about today, so I'll just briefly sit here because I don't think any of us are talking about it, but it's the Embermancy Shark. It is on my list. But <laughs> okay, okay, then we w- I won't go into it. Um, but yeah, I found that very interesting with regards to the plus one uh, power tokens and the, some of the decisions that have to be made with that card as a result. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit. I mean, we're not going to spend all the time talking about all the different houses. I haven't even gotten a chance to play a Sanctum deck yet, so I can't even tell you anything about Sanctum. Oh, it's fun. It is good. Any hot takes? Sanctum's really good. Um, it For for all the complaints that I've heard around Sanctum in the past, it, it this, I think, answers those questions. Yeah, I, I would agree with Rick on that quite a bit. There's the decisions are more interesting. The tide mechanic within Sanctum in this set I find is quite interesting in some of the things that occur with it. And um just even beyond that, just not just with Sanctum though, but the the way that all the decisions have to be made with the tide mechanic is really cool. And I and I'm not, I'm noticing like we had in mass mutations with the idea of mutant decks i think there are such thing as tide decks and there are decks where you have the ability to control the tide without ever having to take chains and that was something that i didn't know how strong that would exist especially with the first few decks i opened i didn't really have that like i was chaining myself quite frequently Mm -hmm. but i found this one deck where i literally went the whole game where i didn't have to take chains and i was in complete control of the tide and i thought that was really interesting 
Let's jump a little bit in here onto the new house that's in this set, the Unfathomable. Um, I've been blessed to have, of the decks that I've opened so far, quite a few Unfathomable uh, in there. Um, I'd say that their primary house um, characteristic is exhaust as a mechanic. There's lots of creatures, lots of actions, and lots of artifacts that allow you to exhaust your opponent's creatures and also to keep them exhausted. Um, on paper, I don't think that sounds like the most incredible mechanic, but in practice, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It's it's really interesting. Like so so far, my because obviously unfathomable was supposed to come in as a disruption house, and its main way of doing so, as we stated, is through exhaustion. I still think dis had in my experience so far a little bit more of the aggressive disruption, but I'm really enjoying this different kind of disruption that exists on this new house because i find it just so unique that you have to exhaust and then you have all these ways to perpetuate the exhaustion more than just past the readying step and then all these cool things you can do once creatures are exhausted and i'm just finding um, that it's making really interesting decisions although sometimes you are stuck with cards that don't quite do what you would ideally like them to do yeah, totally. Um, they have lots of interesting ways to raise the tide. Um, obviously, we haven't seen every single card in the set so far. But uh, mm -hmm. what I do find is that there's tremendous synergy between unfathomable uh, cards. Like, pretty much every deck I open, I discover like two or three interesting little things that you can do within unfathomable. Maybe it's a card that exhausts all the creatures, and then you play another card that makes your opponent skip the step where they get to ready their creatures. So suddenly their entire battle line is useless. Maybe you're running into cases where, uh, you know, you can raise the tide and then you have a creature that does a certain thing when the tide is raised. Like there's tons and tons of little synergies like that within the house that work extremely well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I agree. I think the more that we work with Unfathomable, the more time we get to spend playing with them, the more we're going to discover about their character. I will be interested to see how they develop them going forward if they're a house that sticks around for a couple of sets because I feel like putting them up against like some of the old school powerhouse sets, I'm not necessarily seeing the level of card that I would necessarily expect from like a true powerhouse house, um, mechanically speaking. Um, great synergy, things that are like really working hard. But if you put them up against like, you know, OG, you know, hardcore uh, houses that, uh, you know, can really go, I'm not sure that, you know, all but the best unfathomable houses could necessarily stand against them. But I would be happy to be proven wrong on that as time goes by. Yeah, like for, I don't think Star Alliance Worlds Collide or Dinos, they're, they're kind of uh, really being much of a threat for the most part other than maybe a couple cards that are not as common that could really throw some gum in the works but yeah I, I just think I actually feel that in a way the the introduction of a new house the Saurians and Star Alliance have kind of set the benchmark for like whoa this is powerful right out the gate mm -hmm, totally uh, Rick you have a very interesting unfathomable deck that I got to play against you last night it's one of those crazy tentaclid decks yes has that been fun for you? It actually it has been quite fun. Losing records so far from it, but I've been learning things as I go, so it's getting there. So I don't know, it would stand to reason that this is the same for every deck, but I think that deck has something like six or seven tentaclid cards and one omnipus. And the deal is that Omnipus is an eight power creature. Tentaclids are are uh three power creatures that have skirmish and taunt. Um and omnipus 
it, when it reaps, you gain one for each friendly tentaclid. So basically, like it's there, it's tentacles. I love that concept so much. It's so cool. Yeah, that's so cool. It's awesome. I really but want actually, one of those decks. Um, I've only got five tentacles. Ah, okay. I thought it was more than that. Yeah, it seems like it, but no, it's only five. Should be standard eight almost, right? Yeah, I I <laughs> think, think so. But that might actually really mess up the uh, the balance in your deck. If you oh, that's nine. probably why it's called Omnipus and not Octopus, because it's Omni about the number of tentacles it can have. There yeah. we go. Good thinking. Good thinking. Um, we'll be obviously talking a lot more about uh, the unfathomable as time goes on. But uh, we're going to move on just talking about some cards that have really been impressive to us or that we think are interesting, represent interesting mechanics. Before we get there, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the tremendous work done by the folks over at the TCO. Um, the Crucible Online is, of course, the only real safe way for most people to play Keyforge right now. So the fact that we were able to get decks and play basically, you know, the moment we got home with them felt so incredibly good. You know, there's still a couple of bugs that need to be worked out, but surprisingly few given how much new stuff there is in this set. Uh, an enormous shout out, much love to them. And if you are not already supporting the Crucible online via Patreon, consider doing so. Um, if you use the Crucible, you know, think about the amount of value that you get out of that website um, without having to pay anything for it. You know, just a, a five bucks a month, I think, is is a small price to pay to have access to that service. No, agreed. So let's get into it. We've each picked four cards that we really like from Dark Tidings, ones that really grabbed our imagination right from the get-go. We'll get started with you, Rick. Rick, tell us about a card that you really like. Uh, actually, uh, I'm going to be doing one that has both evil and normal, but I'll be doing the regular today. It's Trelonia, two-power untamed creature, elusive. After you play another creature, if the tide is high, gain one. So it's basically a tide-dependent hunting witch. I absolutely I love, love that. I love this card. I've got a deck with three in it, and oh Ooh. man, it can zoom. Do you got any of those Gruins in there too with that? I believe I do, actually. I got one. That's awesome. Yeah, the Gruins with those guys can uh, can create some of that fun burst potential. Yeah, especially that's when it's, the tide is high. Like, that's the no-brainer. I'm going to take the three chains to raise the tide. If you got a Chelonia and a, uh, a deep sea Gruen going on, why wouldn't you? Yeah. That's instantaneous, like so much amber right away. That's yeah, worth three great. chains no matter any way, any way you slice it. Uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of a conditional hunting witch. That's such a cool idea. Hunting witch was obviously like a staple card back in the day, but one of the problems with it is that it created those huge bursty untamed turns. And as we've gotten away from scaling amber control, having that kind of potential on the board is dangerous so adding that condition to it means that yeah you can have a burst turn but you're definitely going to be taking unless you have a way to raise the tide uh without taking chains it's going to be problematic for you at some point which is once again one of those interesting decisions that we've been talking about yeah i, I wish it had nicer art though it's not my favorite art and the hunting which is probably like top five favorite art in the game so that's 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 my one quip about that card but it's such a great card just because you mentioned it, Rick, um, the evil twin for Chelonia is like the perfect evil twin because it has the exact opposite effect. Every time you play another creature, if the tide is high, your opponent loses one. I love that. It is a literal evil twin. Yep. I agree. So cool. Blake, what's your first card? 
My first card is the Chosen One. And it is an unfathomable creature that's an Aquan. It's a nine power. And it has a card text that instead of reading creatures during instead of reading creatures they control during their ready card step, your opponent deals one damage to the chosen one for each exhausted creature they control. So basically, until you kill the chosen one, your creatures don't ready. That's that's basically how it works. And when you play a creature, it enters play exhausted. So Essentially, all your creatures are entering play exhausted, and they're going to stay that way until you take care of the chosen one, or nine creatures have gone to ready. It's such a powerful card, and it's, there's so much synergy. Like it is, I have two decks with with uh, with this card in it, and it's a rare. And I just found it uh, just oppressive. Like it is very hard to deal with. If you can get some plus one power counters on it from Untamed, like, whew, you're in for a bumpy ride. Yeah, I was just about to say, it sounds like the, the perfect candidate for dumping armor on it. Now, shoulder armor is a big thing in this set. Being able to dump plus oh, one yeah. counters on it, anything you can do to keep it alive, is just oppressive, like you said. Yeah, it's it's a really strong card. I'm, I'm a big fan of it, and then it allows you to trigger a whole bunch of your unfathomable shenanigans through uh, having exhausted creatures. So... The first card that I want to talk about is a card called Ambermancy. Um, I think that the art on this card is actually a reference to Darna. Uh, if we all remember our pal Darna from way back in the AOA days. Um, it's what you alluded to earlier, Blake, which is ways of manipulating tokens uh, in interesting ways. So Ambermancy is uh, an action in Untamed. It's got one pip of Amber for playing it, and its play effect is remove up to three plus one power counters from a creature, gain one Amber for each uh, counter removed this way. This is so great. This is almost guaranteed to be like two amber up to four amber with basically no drawback other than you're losing plus one counters. And to be honest, most plus one counters are easily worth an amber to me in the terms of gameplay, uh, unless they're really doing something for you uh, on uh, your uh, on your side. Um, the other interesting thing about this for me is that uh, it does not specify off of one of your creatures. You can take your opponent's plus one counters mm. and use them with this, which is phenomenal. Um, yeah, I love this card. It's great. Good design. Rick, hit us up with another one. This one, Alex, might sound a little familiar to you. The Last Phobia. It is a unfathomable action play. Discard the top ten cards of your opponent's deck. I... I used it as a turn one just to see Alex's reaction to what I had done, <laughs> but I'm not really sure if that's a great first turn or not, but uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a fun impact card and a wow factor card for me. Yeah, that's that that card is is such an again like we talked about interesting decisions that have to be made because I feel like there's so many arguments on both sides of the coin of why you should or shouldn't play that card. Uh, I think your knowledge of your opponent's deck list really comes into play with something like that. For example, Regrowth is still in this set. So you could literally just be making it so they can choose a creature really easily from Untamed at their disposal. There's also, I think, the fact that you don't know about what's what's really going to be there. The, the one thing I thought about would be cool, which is impossible is uh, if you had an Infernus, because then you could throw a bunch of cards in there, discard, and then be able to play Infernus, which you obviously can't, because if Infantable exists, that means Dis doesn't exist. But just uh, interesting things like that. It, it can be a real disruptor, I think, but on the flip side, I think it can also be something that creates uh, maybe the card that your opponent really needs for their combo was 
12 cards down and you just made it 10 cards closer type of thing, which I find is really interesting. It's got such weird dynamics to it. Yeah. I mean, there's there, you, you can't know what you can't know. So it's always, I think, the, the only real time that I think that it makes, you know, you can be sort of, well, you can't. Uh, there's never a point where you will be 100% guaranteed that it's a good time to play it. Because, you know, mid-game, you could be getting your opponent closer to cycling up to, like, the good cards that they've already played again. Um, I liked your first turn play on it because, like, you know, there's no way that you can know one way or the other, uh, you know, where where my combo piece cards are in my deck. So just starting things off and pretty much guaranteeing that I'm not going to have access to at least something good in a deck that I'm playing, that's not the worst first turn move. No, not at all. And, and I also think there's the interesting, I think it actually may have more value late game, but it's more situational. Whereas if you know there's a card you're kind of dreading and they're down to their last few cards, it may give you that ability to just have it not exist and have to be shuffled back. So therefore your opponent doesn't get the full effect that would exist with that card, which is kind of interesting because uh, they actually wouldn't have access to it even potentially on their next turn because they don't shuffle their deck until they go to draw. So it's almost like you're you're providing two moments of, of delay. So I, I think it's interesting in that regard, maybe if you haven't seen something and you're trying to close out where you could maybe potentially just get rid of it altogether so they can't dig for it. Interesting tool card. But like you said, Rick, I think you put it perfectly. It's got that wow factor. Like it's a mm -hmm. big play. Blake, hit us up with another one. So my next one, uh, I chose for a number of reasons. Um, it is a Logos action card called Theory or Conjecture. And it is one of the play choose one cards, which I have to say, I absolutely love as a design choice for action cards. You have two things, and you get to decide which one you want to do. I think it's just such a cool thing. Like, what are your thoughts on, on that mechanic, Alex? I really dig it. Um... I like the fact that it provides you with more options for a card. Like, none of the choose cards have a crazy powerful ability, and I don't think any of them have a pip of amber on them. But the flexibility makes up for that, and that's the thing that I think is really cool about them. Is like, okay, well, maybe, you know, this turn stealing one, whatever the Shadows one is, I don't remember what it's called. The Shadows one that's like, oh, you can either steal one or you can capture three. Maybe I need to take three of Amber off of my opponent to make sure they don't forge so that I can close out the game. That's great to have that option. But if it's early on in the game, I don't need to capture. I'll just take the one Amber stolen. Thank you very much. Like, I love that that provides you with a little bit of flexibility depending on what stage of the game you're at. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm very into, you know, getting rid of cards, putting cards in archives uh, in Theory or Conjecture's case, you know, very much pairing up with Edai uh, uh, 4x4 in this set as yeah, well. Yeah, that's that's why I like it. it. It either can make your the keys cost more or you can just play the top card of your deck depending if you're looking for something or not. Rick, what's your thoughts been with these, uh, these choose one uh, action I'm cards? I'm quite liking them. Yeah, have you good experiences? They make me think a lot. And sometimes, sometimes people that know me, like both of you, you know what I'm most likely to do because of past past experience. Sometimes I like to switch the flip or flip the script a little bit and just do the other, just to see how you respond to that. But uh, that's when we're playing casually, usually. Mm. I would flip the script like that. Love it, Alex. What about your next card? 
My next card is a artifact in shadows. It is a ship, and the ship is called Archon's Revenge. I believe there's a ship in every house. I haven't seen them all yet, but uh, I, I think they, they are in every single house. I love this. It's got wonderful art from Balance Sheet. Um, that guy draws a heck of a pirate ship, I'll tell you what. Um, and the pirate ship sails have the, um, the, the, uh, the pattern, the shadows pattern, like the hexagons. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I love that so much. It looks so cool to me. But uh, uh, the interesting thing about this one is that it's action, exhaust up to two friendly shadows creatures for each creature exhausted this way. Steal one. Love it. Basically, yeah, what cool. it means is that any shadows creature now has the ability to basically action steal one. So if you've got like a Francis the Economist, why reap when you could steal? Why fight unless you need the fight if we can steal? So, you know, there's all kinds of like, you know, there's there's pretty good shadows value, I think, in this set. Lots of play effects. But once they're on the table, Archon's Revenge gives them a second life as just a vehicle for stealing. And it also means that your opponent, because you can do this, you know, every single shadow's turn, has to deal with your shadow's creatures on the board because every single one of them is potentially a steal. Mm, that's really cool. I, I really dig it a lot. It's great design. Lots of fun. I, I love that card because I have a deck with that in it, but it, that deck also has two other ships in it. So it's it's really quite interesting, the uh, scenarios that can happen with all three. Ooh, you get yourself cool. a fleet deck. Yeah. All right, Captain Rick, uh, what is your next card? My next card is a Logos card, Pippa Vamber, Mecha Bowie. At the start of each player's turn, if the tide is high for that player, they gain one. Ooh. Yeah, I I like this. Again, tide dependent, but it's it it can help you get to your third key if you need one more ember. Just that can do it possibly. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that. That's that's a, again interesting decisions with the tide have to be made, and I think that's what this is going to be the story to tell as you move forward with this set is the proposition of when you're deciding to take those three chains and how willing you are to do so. I definitely agree. I think the interesting thing about this one, for me especially, is obviously, just like you said, Blake, very, very, uh, like people who are playing Dark Tidings against Dark Tidings are going to do a lot of trading back and forth because the value of this thing, turn over turn, is tremendous. You're not going to let someone like get an entire key's worth of amber without taking the tide at some point like it doesn't make sense to do that but what's really cool and valuable about this is playing mecha boy against somebody who is not playing dark tidings so mm. you know they don't have a single card in their deck that's going to raise the tide for them so basically what you're saying is either you let me have an amber every turn or you take chains yeah that's cool and maybe i've got a bunch of cards in my deck that go with mecha boy that let me take the tide so every time that i take it back you're just committing yourself to another three chains unless I get that pip of amber. I love that. And that's one of the most interesting things about the tide mechanic to me is that dark tidings decks that can manipulate the tide without taking chains have an advantage over older uh, sets that have no tide mechanic stuff in them. Mm, yeah, I like it. Blake, what's your next card? My next card is from Shadows. It's a four-power elf thief called Hard Simpson, and it's mm. elusive, and it has the text that says, after Hard Simpson is dealt damage, steal one. If the tide is low, your opponent steals one instead. Hard Simpson must survive this damage. Well, 
again, decisions to be made regarding the tide. And I think it's just interesting that you can have your own ember stolen by it. So it, it makes the, 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 you know, the idea that your opponent may have to manipulate it to steal one from you, which is kind of fun. But uh, my next card I'm going to follow this up with will will tell you why I like this card so much and, and why it combos really nicely for me. But I just think it's an interesting card. And I, I honestly think I'm my heart for Shadows in this set is so strong just because it has such a cool pirate theme to it that I absolutely love. I'm a big pirate fan through uh, all my life since I was a small kid. And I, and I just love how the, uh, the pirates are represented with the shadows here. Agreed. What's interesting to me about Hard Simpson is that there are ways for Hard Simpson to be used against you. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that sort of presents lots of interesting decisions for you as the person playing Hard Simpson. Um, he has an evil twin, but his evil twin power doesn't seem very related to his regular power. Do you know what it is, Blake? No, I haven't looked at anything that I haven't opened. All right, well, then I, I won't spoil it for you. <laughs> but uh, it's it's not the most interesting evil twin in my estimation. But it does have kind of cool art, I guess, uh, if you're okay. a fan of the Hard Simpson. Uh, for my next card, going back to the well that is Control. Um, you said it at the, the sort of the beginning of the uh, show, Blake. Uh, Unfathomable is kind of a disruption house. They're kind of taking that rollover from Dis. So it stands to reason that they would have a variation on the classic Control the Week um, it is an unfathomable action. It is printed at uncommon, so it's unlikely that you're going to get, like, you know, tons and tons of three and four of these in a deck, but you might see some multiples in some cases. Get a pip of amber for playing Illusions of Grandeur. That's not illusions with an I. It's illusions, as in suggestions or references to. Um, play. Choose a house on your opponent's identity card. If your opponent does not choose that house as their active house on their next turn, gain three amber. So here's what's great and interesting about that. One, it's a value proposition for your opponent. They have to look at it and say, all right, well, either I do what they want me to do and maybe I have a lousy turn, but they don't get three amber, or I let them have the three amber and see if I can make it worth my while to have made that decision. Heck, maybe your opponent says, I'm going to let them have the three amber and then I'm going to capture it right away or steal it right away. That's the what I think is interesting about Illusions of Grandir. One of the problems with Control the Weak, as we all know, is that Control the Weak is kind of a feels-bad card. Like, it is directly disruptive to your opponent's plans, and so many games have been won and lost on it because your opponent basically is offered no option, right? Like, if you know how to play Control the Weak, it's crippling. Illusions of Grandir has that, but it still offers you outs as the person having it played against you while still being a tremendous disruption uh, and possible amber generation card for the person playing it. So I, I like it better than Control the Week because I think it's more interesting from a gameplay perspective. Mm, I hear you on that one. All right, Rick, give us your last card, buddy. Last card from Unfathomable. I might need help on the pronunciation of this one. The Cesarus. S-U-S-U-R-R-U-S. That's how I would pronounce it. It's a ship action. Exhaust a friendly, unfathomable creature. If you do, exhaust up to three creatures or artifacts. Ooh. Again, decisions. Do you exhaust a friendly, unfathomable, or do you reap with it and get an ember? It's it's a fun, fun decision card. 
Yeah, I like the flexibility of it. I think it, it does provide some uh, some cool takes to be had. I think one of the things that I think is most interesting about the exhaust mechanic is that there's a lot of good, powerful creatures that just sit on the board that your opponent's going to want to take care of, and exhausting their creatures so they can't fight into it is pretty great. And so oftentimes there probably will be cases where it's like, all right, I pop down some creature that you definitely don't want me to like have for you know more than a couple of turns but then i use all of the disruption um from from exhausting creatures that's in unfathomable to make it harder and harder for you to take it off the board and that's pretty fascinating blake what's your next card so my next card is a sanctum artifact and uh gives you a pippa ember for playing it's called red hand registry Mm. and it's a law that says after Ember is stolen from you, your opponent skips the forge a key step during their next turn. And this is where Hard Simpson comes into play because once you have this out, your opponent's willingness to steal Ember from you suddenly becomes diminished. And then you can also have the tide low and basically use it to allow your opponent to steal Ember from you by dealing a damage to Hard Simpson and then making it so your opponent cannot forge a key next turn. And it just provides that, like, amazing combo to me and that's the reason why i think i like hard simpson so much is because i have a red hand registry and can just really use that oh you want to steal from me well then you're not forging next turn kind of a uh, gameplay i've got a red hand registry in one of my decks but i've got nothing to go with it I'll well i mean you're, if your opponent in general just steals from you it's a deterrent from it they can't steal like if you're in check and they are like gonna go into check you essentially make it so they have to find a way other than stealing to take you off check ah okay makes more sense now thank you Mm -hmm. i think the thing that i think is so fascinating about redhead registry is it's the hardest steel shutdown that we've ever seen in the history of the game Mm -hmm. like this this could have been printed at aoa and it would have been like a solution to a lot of problems during that era of the game um i love it this should stay forever yeah it's really cool and it's common I, too, or uncommon. Sorry, I like. I'm quite happy with it myself. So yeah, let's keep it around. Having it's gonna, of course, for some decks like, all right, I've got a steel heavy deck. I need amber control, or I need artifact control now, because if yeah. I run up against somebody with this card, then I'm boned. Like I will never ever be able to forge a key. Like Coda Shadows, like see ya. <laughs> yeah, totally, hundred percent. Uh, let's hop over into House Logos. We haven't talked a lot about them, but Logos, as powerful as they always are with many of their same tricks, but I'm really a fan of this creature. He's common. You're going to see a lot of this particular uh, character coming around. Uh, Logos, a two-power creature uh, named P.I. Sweeven. I assume that's like a reference to somebody who works at FFG or something like that, maybe one of the designers or a friend. Uh, P.I. Sweeven who is a private investigator. You can tell by the flavor text, I've never pursued a criminal this brilliant. So I guess the the, uh, P.I. Sweeven is the person they call when shadows be stealing. Uh, Has a reap power. If the tide is high, draw three cards. Nice, simple, straightforward, high value creature. Not always high value. The tide has to be high. But hey, I'm willing to take three chains if I can then draw three cards and get an amber from reaping with this guy. You should never let P.I. Sweeven stay on the table, I don't think. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely agree. 
just a tremendous pool of cards for us to draw from. I know we're going to be talking more about cards. We're going to get to a point where I think we're going to be able to play some over-under. We're definitely going to be talking about more cards that we enjoy from the set in future episodes, but uh, we've already been going for quite some time. But that said, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. It's called... Help Help from Future Self. One of the things that has always helped me learn a set has been actually handling the cards. And one of the things that I think really slowed me down with Mass Mutation was that because we weren't playing a lot in person, I wasn't opening my decks at all. Like they were just sitting in shrink wrap and I wasn't like looking at them and going through the cards and looking at the art and reading the text and so on. So I want to encourage everybody, look, even if you're not playing in person right now with your new Dark Tidings decks or maybe you're opening other new decks and you're just immediately scanning them and throwing them onto the uh, onto the, the Crucible to play, consider opening them up and going through them and really like looking at and handling the cards. I find that's a tremendous way to learn the game. It lets you get the opportunity to really start associating cards with their artwork. It allows you to take in the flavor a lot better. Um, and I just generally think that it's a really excellent way of learning a, a set is that just full on opening and actually experiencing the decks as if you were going to be playing them in person. I think it's a tremendous way to learn a set and a tremendous way to learn a deck. I like it. Yeah, I mean... On Tuesday was the first time I actually played any decks online, really, because I, for that stream, because before that, I was just actually uh, playing the decks in a goldfish pattern where I would take the two decks I identified as my strongest so far and anything I opened, I would jam against both of those and see if it can uh, sink or swim, so to speak, to keep the the flavor of the nautical side of things in the, the allegory here. So yeah, I just uh, really enjoyed playing against myself actually a little solo keyforge there's nothing wrong with it and it's a lot of fun to get to see a lot of cards and the decisions you'll have to make with those decks so i found that a really fun way right now to actually take in the decks rather than just playing on tco absolutely uh before we get on to the very end of the show a quick update on the contest that we announced last week on our 100th episode um if you were not listening um Courtesy of our co-host, uh, SC Steel, we are going to be giving away eight starter boxes, each filled with 12 decks, a pair of starter set rules, and two sets of official cardboard tokens. All of the decks that are going to be in each of these boxes have been calibrated against one another, so you're going to get lots of interesting pairings. We are giving those away. All you have to do to win one of these eight starter boxes, get 12 decks, tokens, everything you need to play Keyforge, is send an email to podcast at gmail.com with no more than a couple paragraphs about yourself and what you would do with one of these kits. Uh, We have our first winner. Jacob Chapman is the first person to win our great deck uh, and box giveaway. So congratulations to Jacob. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get some more entries coming up soon and we'll be announcing a new winner next week. But that email address is hffspodcast at gmail.com. Just let us know what you would do with one of these and we will be happy to consider your entry. All right. You can find us on Twitter at hffspodcast. Rick, where can they find you online? On TCO and Discord at Rickster78 and the Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. And Blake, where can they find you? What do you got going on? You can find me 
on Twitter if you want to have a conversation at Boulevard Blake. That's B-L-V-D Blake. Same name on the Crucy. And then under my YouTube Boulevard Paper Fight is where I'm putting out everything Dark Tidings right now. I've had to put some other openings that I've recorded on hold just because I know everyone wants to see those Dark Tiding decks right now. So uh, tune into my YouTube and to my stream on Tuesdays. And now tonight on Thursday, I am doing my first YouTube live stream. I wanted to check out what it's like streaming on YouTube. So uh, come hang out there at uh, 5 p.m. Pacific if you're interested in uh, seeing some more Dark Tidings in action. Awesome stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Scuzzy Gruen, on Instagram, same name, and on the Crucy, same name. Woo! This has been a tremendous episode. So excited to be playing some Dark Tidings. So excited to get to play some games with you guys with our hot new decks. But we got to get out of here. Until next time, stay free.